Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Neri Zilber, a journalist based in Tel Aviv and a policy advisor to Israel Policy Forum. It's been a difficult week in Israel with an escalating wave of violence that has already claimed the lives of 11 Israelis. And we're seeing some of the deadliest terror attacks here for nearly eight years. To help us understand what's happening and what may still happen, we have one of Israel's foremost experts on the Palestinians with us this episode, Colonel in the Reserves, Dr. Michael Milstein. Michael is the former head of the Palestinian Arena in Israeli military intelligence, an advisor to the IDF general responsible for the Palestinian territories, the head of the Palestinian Studies Center at the Dayan Center in Tel Aviv University, and a senior researcher at the Institute for Policy and Strategy at Reichman University. Michael also has a new book out in Hebrew, looking at the Palestinian young generation called Not Here, Not There. This was a hugely important conversation about the present and future of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Let's get into it. Hi, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, uh, Neri. Uh, it's our pleasure. I know it's been a busy week on your end, uh, but we have to start with the latest developments here on the ground, this new wave of terror that we've been seeing over the past week and a half, really the worst wave of violence inside Israel for some, I think, six years. Uh, as I'm sure all of our listeners know, mm-hmm. three deadly attacks, Beersheva, Hadera, Bnei Brak, 11 Israelis dead in the span of a week. The question, Michael, and I'd like to start here, is why now? Uh, is it simply the case that one copycat attack begets another, begets another, or is there something deeper and different going on here in terms of this escalation? What do you think? Well, th- that's a key uh, question. That's a very important uh, question. First of all, I think, Neri, that we should uh, ask ourselves, well, if we are in the middle of actually a wave of uh, terror, or maybe only, you know, only a series, and maybe the climax of these uh, terror attacks is behind us. Mm. And I think that, uh, first of all, now I'm uh, 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 asking why now, I think that we cannot, we cannot uh, uh, really escape from the answer that this is the effect of the atmosphere of Ramadan, you know, the holiest uh, month among Muslims, which really affect um, uh, most of the p- population, uh, it imbues the, the population with a very spiritual uh, atmosphere. But, you know, I think that when we are trying to check deeper what happened during uh, uh, last week, I think that we can find a very prominent, very interesting uh, uh, phenomena. Uh, and the most uh, prominent uh, issue is the place of the Israeli Arab citizens uh, among the uh, terrorists, the, among the, uh, those who committed the terror attacks, we we actually found that uh, we actually see that two out of three attacks were committed by by Israeli citizens who are who were very affiliated with ISIS uh, ideas. And you know, when I'm trying to compare between the last week and, for example, uh, what happened during Ramadan last year, mm-hmm. last year. Actually, the source of all the tension, of all the uh, escalation, was the territories, the Palestinian arena, Gaza, Jerusalem, the West Bank. And only in the end, the Arab-Israeli sector uh, was inflamed. And right now, actually, those who committed the terror attacks were the spreadhead. Uh, the, the Israeli-Arab uh, uh, citizens were the spreadhead of the uh, attacks. And this affects... Jerusalem and the West Bank, and maybe, maybe even uh, Gaza in the end. I see. So now it's happening in reverse compared to last year, where we saw Jerusalem tensions rising, uh, and then Gaza, and then afterwards, during the 11-day Gaza war, you had Arab Israelis uh, joining the the unrest and the violence. Yeah. Now you're saying that it was really uh, starting with one Arab Israeli, a, a Bedouin, uh, from Israel's south, right, that was responsible for the first terror attack in Beersheba. Yeah. Uh, he he kicked this off, followed by Khadera, which were uh, two cousins from Umar Fahim, an Arab-Israeli town in northern Israel. And then, I guess, a few days ago, we saw the West Bank join in. That's right. With this attacker from, right. from Janine in the northern West Bank. Interesting. So the dynamic is reversed. Uh, 
does that make it more difficult? Does that make it more concerning to you that, uh, like you said, Arab-Israeli ISIS sympathizers uh, are really getting involved? Uh, actually, it's much more complex because, you know, in the past, uh, the, the main threat for Israel was uh, the Palestinians uh, uh, in Gaza or in the West Bank. And um, we, we have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience uh, in uh, confronting uh, these uh, threats. But uh, today or, or last week, we are confronting or we are facing uh, Israeli citizens. The, those who committed the terror attacks were not were not Palestinians from the territories, were Israeli citizens. And now, and here, Neri, I must emphasize that uh, we are talking about a very marginal, very limited phenomenon uh, among the Arabs. I mean, the the uh, the support of uh, ISIS. I think that ninety nine point ninety nine uh, of the uh, Israeli Arab public uh, really resist and even hate the uh, the idea of uh, of uh, ISIS but though th- this small group and i really estimate in a very general manner that we are talking about between 100 maybe uh, uh, to 150 people uh, in in israel in the arab sector in israel uh, who support this uh, this idea but they are very lethal lethal and they they really affect the the general atmosphere between jews and Arabs in Israel, and they really can cause a deterioration uh, in the very, very fragile uh, equation, very fragile situation between the two societies in Israel today. Absolutely. So the question uh, on everyone's mind here, the public debate in Israel has shifted from obviously shock and mourning uh, with regard to the victims to now uh, who is responsible. And a lot of the focus seems to be pointed at the Shin Bet, yeah. the Internal Intelligence Security Agency here in Israel. Uh, how come uh, these ISIS sympathizers, uh, two of whom had spent time in prison and were known ISIS sympathizers, how are they not on anybody's radar? Mm-hmm. And then more recently, the Bnei Brak attacker from Janine in the Northern West Bank, apparently he got into a car with an M16 rifle and drove all the way from his village, uh, Yabad, yeah. in Janine. Janine. He drove from the West Bank right into Bnei Brak. So what do you think? Was there an intelligence failure here? Should should they have been picked up um, previous? I, I think, Neri, it, it's obvious that there were... Uh, gaps, professional gaps uh, in the two uh, in the two uh, attacks that were committed by Israeli citizens and the uh, the terror attack in uh, Bnei Barak. Uh, and I, I'm sure that the Shin Bed, the Shabak, and IDF, IDF intelligence are checking themselves and are trying to uh, really to to understand what were the sources of those uh, gaps. I must emphasize that uh, as we 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 uh, we described before. The main threats uh, uh, that the IDF and Shin Bet are focused in is Hamas and uh, PIJ, the Islamic Jihad, and maybe even the uh, the military wing of uh, of Fatah. Um, this is, I, I mean, ISIS. It's it's not a new, but it's quite marginal a uh, threat. And I'm sure that right now many people, mainly in Shin Bet, are trying to prepare themselves better. Uh, and to uh, you know to um, take be- take care better uh, this uh, this threat and the uh, optimistic point right here is that as we described before there is no public there is no social support uh, in ISIS uh, members or ISIS uh, supporters among the Arab Israeli society and and among uh, the Arab society in the in the territories so I think that. Uh, I, I'm not. I, I'm not saying that it, it's going to be a very easy job, but it's much more, much less complex than uh, than uh, facing uh, Hamas or PIJ or other terrorist uh, uh, groups uh, in the Palestinian uh, arena. Right. And in your opinion, do you think these were lone wolf attacks, quote unquote, or was was it a bit more organized? I mean, we saw uh, in two in two cases uh, the two cousins from Oman Fahim. Uh, well armed, yeah, with assault rifles, uh, and then the uh, the attacker from Janine, 
he he also seemed to get some support and some help and was also armed with an assault rifle. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I think that um, the two uh, cases you, you mentioned were not a part of, uh, let's call it a very organized or very institutionalized uh, organization, but in, be- in between, they were not uh, lonely, uh, lone wolves, but they were also not, you know, a part of a very organized military uh, wings. They got support from uh, other people, that, that's for sure, uh, mainly the, the attacks, the attack in uh, Umel Fahem, but they are still not, uh, you know, reflecting uh, um, an institution or, or a very uh, uh, organized uh, 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 yeah, frameworks and um, in contrary to the attack in Beersheba, which were, was clear uh, a, a, an operation of a lone wolf. Uh, he got no support from anyone. He, his inspiration was very personal. And uh, he actually uh, committed these terror attacks uh, uh, by himself uh, with, with, no, with no connections and no, no relations with nobody. Yeah, he seemed to wake up in the morning, grab a knife and get into his car. Uh, much That's more right. difficult to spot ahead of time and, and deter. Uh, that's a, a classic lone wolf attack. Let's get into the Israeli response of recent days. You mentioned the Shin Bet and IDF intelligence, and we've seen arrests of known ISIS supporters and sympathizers, uh, definitely inside Israel. Uh, we now, as we're taping this on Thursday morning, we're hearing about a major IDF operation in Janine and the Janine refugee camp. Um, we've also seen the Israeli police and the security forces put on the highest state of alert here in the country for the first time since last May's Gaza war. Uh, the prime minister has urged all citizens and civilians with, uh, with permits to carry their weapons, to actually carry their weapons. That's right. What, uh, what more is being done in terms of, uh, the security forces, the intelligence arena arrests? What can you tell us? Uh, well, actually, you describe most of the the moves that uh, were promoted in the security level. I mean, you know, um, uh, arresting those who support, for example, ISIS or or uh, or being suspected to to support uh, uh, by supporting uh, ISIS and improving the intelligence. You know, uh, uh, even in the uh, social media. Uh, not o- not only the 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 old school uh, intelligence, but also the uh, the uh, uh, new uh, media uh, intelligence. Uh, the new school intelligence. Yeah, uh, uh, but I think that when we are talking about the response of, of Israel, we must also mention the uh, the civil, uh, even economic uh, level, because uh, one of the dilemmas uh, among uh, Israeli Israeli government during the last uh, week was uh, whether to to stop all the uh, the economic moves that were prepared uh, uh, to Ramadan uh, for example uh, letting uh, give give uh, the Palestinian population permits to get out uh, of the territories to Israel during Ramadan especially uh, to uh, temple mount uh, to pray uh, in this uh, in this site um, and right now i think that the government yesterday uh, uh, actually got the right decision not to abolish uh, all those uh, steps. And I think that this this way of thinking reflects the deep understanding of the Israeli government and of, uh, of the IDF and, and, and the other organization, organizations in Israel that there is a very strong, tight linkage between what is happening in the security level and what is happening uh, in, the, uh, in the social level. And this reflects that the understanding that if you will uh, provide the Palestinian uh, uh, population, for example, during Ramadan, a stable, even a positive uh, um, uh, level of, uh, of uh, life, maybe it will affect also the security level. It doesn't mean that you will find yourself in zero uh, terror, in uh, you know, no terror attacks, but it can maybe sure uh, 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 maybe can provide you much less uh, uh, tender uh, 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 atmosphere and it can assure you that there will be no uh, you know broad joining of the Palestinian population to uh, mo- to to um, uh, developments for example like uh, broad uh, broad intifada 
during during the the um, the uh, Ramadan, uh, for example. So you're saying that the Israeli government definitely yesterday, uh, but as it has done for several years now, maybe dating back to 2015, right? That it tries to differentiate between the security threat on the one hand, the terrorists, and the general population on the other. And that the way to, to actually differentiate and to positively induce the general population to not join the terror uprising or the violence is to actually maintain daily life uh, in a positive way, uh, not harm uh, people's uh, social or economic conditions. And so you're saying that yesterday, the what we heard, the Israeli security cabinet actually did not cancel the planned easing measures and these Ramadan permits for, for West Bank Palestinians. That, that, that's right. Uh, you know, I think that it also reflects the, the deep understanding that today, uh, among the Palestinians, most of the Palestinians are tired of, uh, you know, slogans and revolutionary uh, uh, ideologies, and they're really tired of of, uh, of uh, all the uh, violent uh, steps. I think that I assess that most of them really want a calm, uh, uh, peaceful, right now, peaceful uh, life, and they uh, really uh, want to focus in the social and economic uh, uh, level. And Israel should really understand how to uh, how to you know to um, make a distinction between those who who commits the terror attacks and the rest, the broad majority uh, 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 population in the uh, in the territories, mainly in the West Bank. And so, this Ramadan permit easing measures, uh, we see thousands of West Bankers go pray on the uh, Al Aqsa Mosque and. Jerusalem, uh, and also they they come into Israel proper, and a lot of them choose to go to the beach on the Mediterranean, which uh, is not is not That's accessible right. to them. It's very yeah, we, we you know you can be on the beach in Tel Aviv, and during Ramadan, you definitely see uh, Palestinian families from the West Bank uh, enjoying enjoying the spring sunshine. Uh, do you think the government, by not canceling these measures, is taking a certain risk, though? That if there is an attack over Ramadan, I, I, I would, yeah, I, I would call it an area calculated uh, risk. Yeah, for for sure, there is always a risk that uh, you know uh, some of the the uh, the uh, Palestinians who who got uh, permits uh, will will uh, uh, promote will commit uh, terror attacks. But I think uh, that when you're Looking when you are uh, trying to analyze the, this uh, this uh, decision in a strategic manner, you really understand that uh, the uh, the advantages of uh, this uh, this uh, move is uh, much more important than all the the risks. Okay, uh, I I happen to agree, but I think we should just mention it for the record that uh, politically uh, the current Bennett Lapid government. If something does happen during Ramadan, its political position might become a bit, a bit more difficult. Absolutely, uh, Michael. The question everybody wants an answer to really is: What can we expect moving forward? Do you think this this quote unquote terror wave, as some are calling it, will die down given the Israeli response, or do you think it will continue during the beginning of Ramadan throughout Ramadan? Uh, you know, we've seen terror waves in the past, uh, although this one happens to be, I think, deadlier than previous years. That's right. Uh, so what do you think we can expect moving forward? I hate to put you on the spot because nobody, I think the real, the real answer is nobody knows, but, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's why what I wanted to say, but, um, <laughs> actually no, nobody can know, but you know, really right now there is, of course, uh, uh, uh very, very heavy potential for escalation uh, right now after the, the three uh, terror attacks and the uh, the uh, clash between uh, between uh, IDF uh, soldiers and and the uh, Palestinians in Jenin uh, refugee camp. But I, I I think that in the end of the day, Neri, uh, there are two I would call it um, explosives. Uh, that can really cause a dramatic, broad uh, escalation during Ramadan. 
The first is the economic, the civil uh, explosive, and we, we describe it. But right now, I think that Israel is clever enough not to... Not to, uh, not to uh, uh, that aspect. Uh, make, yeah, exactly. Not to make uh, the, this point uh, uh, much more explosive. And the other one is the Temple Mount. And right now, I think that if Israel will keep uh, the pair, the two, uh, the two uh, issues, the two explosives uh, contained, maybe we can, we can uh, pass this Ramadan in a, in a relative calm atmosphere. Uh, we, can, we must also remember that Hamas in uh, Gaza Strip uh, is uh, keeping this uh, arena quiet, very calm right now. So I think that if we, Israel will keep uh, economy uh, stable, if Israel will keep uh, uh, Temple Mount mainly during Pesach, I mean the third week of Ramadan, uh, quite stable and, and will maintain the same status quo as, as now, maybe we can uh, pass this Ramadan uh, with no, with, with no uh, dramatic problems, I, I hope, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hope. And I really, I, I'm aware that maybe I'm trying to, uh, you know, to mix my uh, wishful thinking with my assessments here. Um, but um, the, the main thing is, is that we really should be every day during Ramadan very cautious and to, do, to, to check again uh, what is happening in all aspects. I mean, economy and military and social and uh, even think about what will happen after Ramadan, not only during Ramadan, because, you know, even we, if we will uh, pass Ramadan with, with uh, very limited uh, uh, problems, it doesn't mean that after Ramadan the, all the problems will vanish, <laughs> not at all. Right. We, we must also think uh, about the period after this uh, month. So we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, we should remind our listeners that last year, in the lead-up to Ramadan, there were growing tensions in Jerusalem, the Old City, the Temple Mound, uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, and that led directly to the escalation between Israel, Hamas, and Gaza. That's right. And so we, we don't want a repeat of that this year. So hopefully the the situation, especially on, on the Temple Mound and Al-Aqsa Mosque, will be kept stable and that certain, say, provocateurs uh, on both sides mm-hmm. don't, uh, don't do what they did last year and lead us into a war. That's right. And, and, and as you mentioned before, Nari, also to dramatic conflict between Israeli-Arab citizens and mm-hmm. Israeli-Arab uh, uh, Jew, uh, Jewish citizens, uh, which was uh, really, I think, that were, was the worst Think uh, last year, even even uh, even uh, much more negative than the uh, the clash between Hamas and and Israel, and I really hope that this this kind of uh, clash will not renew, uh, because uh, as I as I told you before and as we described before, uh, the po- these Jews and Arabs in Israel are uh, right now facing a very dramatic, very fragile point. And this and and uh, attacks like uh, those who uh, were promoted during last uh, week can really uh, bring both of both societies to a very very uh, negative ebb. Yes, and we don't want a repeat of of last year. Uh, the internal riots and violence between Arabs and Jews in in Israeli cities uh, something almost unprecedented. Uh, and we should also remind everyone that there is now an Arab-Israeli political party as part of the governing coalition. And so it could, it could have not only impacts uh, societally and in terms of security on the ground, but politically in terms of the current government. But hopefully all of this passes safely and quietly. Uh, Michael, I wanted to broaden our lens a little bit. Uh, you have a new book out. Uh, in Hebrew for now, although it's supposed to come out in English in a few months. And the main focus of this new book is the Palestinian young generation, uh, a hugely important topic, in my opinion. Uh, so I wanted to first off ask you to give us a sense of the scale of the issue in terms of the Palestinian young generation. Uh, and you yeah. you primarily focus on all of those Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza that were born 
in 2000, in the year 2000 and after, right? That's right. Um, the, uh, first of all, thank you, uh, Neri. Uh, the, the name of the book, by the way, is, uh, is not here, not there. Lopolosham, or actually it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a translation from Arabic, Barbacher. Uh, you know, not here, not there. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you mentioned before, uh, this book is trying to draw the profile uh, of the uh, Palestinian young uh, generation. Actually, it's the Z, the Z generation uh, in the Palestinian arena. Uh, all those Palestinians who were born after the year of uh, 2000. And um, I'm trying actually to describe the uh, the profile of a new generation, a generation which is much less uh, uh, ideologic, uh, uh, is very tired of uh, slogans and policies and, uh, you know, uh, uh, supporting uh, the political uh, leadership in the Palestinian uh, arena. And uh, he, he knows what is happening uh, uh, around the globe. For example, it's very different from the, uh, from the uh, generation uh, the old one, uh, his uh, fathers, which uh, knew uh, about the world in a very limited uh, manner. And this, uh, this young generation really, really uh, want to achieve uh, uh, careers. He, he, want, he want to uh, build, uh, build families. He want a good life. Uh, very different from the uh, from the generations that were before him. It doesn't mean that the, that this generation is less uh, nationalist. That he forgot his national national uh, identity or national consciousness. But he really uh, has other interests, other goals in his life. And you know, I, I'm trying to describe uh, in the book the heavy tension that uh, this uh, generation uh, faces between modernity and tradition, between Israel and the Palestinian leaderships, uh, not only the PA, the Palestinian Authority, but also uh, Hamas uh, regime in, the, in, the, uh, in Gaza Strip. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the deep alienation of this, uh, this uh, generation, which really uh, feels that he is a part of, uh, you know, new modern life, but he lives, he finds himself in a very traditional, uh, very uh, even pessimistic uh, arena uh, with very limited uh, uh, possibilities to implement his wishes. So uh, the things I, I, uh, I, uh, uh, I'm trying to elaborate, the, the insights I'm trying to elaborate uh, in this book is that this... this um, how would how would it call it a very uh, a very uh, uh, dispersed uh, generation is not only a problem of the Palestinians it's also a problem of Israel because this the next uh, Palestinians this is the next Palestinian leadership and Israel should right now be a part of the solutions uh, in order to you know to find better better ways to uh, to uh, improve the life of this uh, generation. Uh, because as as we described before, in in East Jerusalem, in the West Bank, in Gaza Strip, this is this is the kind of Palestinians we are going to face uh, during uh, during the, the the next decades and actually right now. That's right. Uh, I always try to tell people that I talk to um, one key data point. So everybody talks about demographics uh, in Israel Palestine in terms of. Jews versus Arabs, right, between uh, the sea and the river. And I always emphasize the demographics uh, inside the Palestinian territories. Uh, also, by the way, inside Israel, but that's a different, that's a different conversation. But the demographics, the demographics inside Palestine, so you have around 2 million Palestinians that live in Gaza and uh, over 3 million Palestinians that live in the West Bank. So around 5.5 million all told. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, 70% of the five and a half million are under the age of 30. That's right. A very young generation, one of the youngest, one of the youngest societies in the world, actually. A massive youth bulge uh, on, on world level, not even just relative to Israel. Exactly. And so I, I don't think people quite appreciate how young Palestinian society really is. And then looking ahead, what that actually means for for the future. 
uh, here on the ground. Yeah, you, you know, it, it regards all the questions we're, we're asking ourselves, not, not only about the politics and not, not on, only about political and maybe ideological questions, but the very, uh, very uh, practical uh, questions about uh, uh, places of work. And beds in in hospitals and uh, uh, classes in in uh, in, uh, in schools. All these mm. these things are, are related to the questions of of the of demography uh, among the Palestinians. And you know, I, I uh, there is o- another point uh, we must also mention, uh, Neri, and uh, it regards the the uh, political uh, level. All the this young generation, as we described before, is very cynical uh, toward the the political uh, uh, activity and toward the uh, uh, the uh, ideology. Political parties. Yeah, that that uh, uh, were very popular among Palestinians uh, in the past, and when we are speaking with Palestinians, maybe uh, m- mainly uh, from the young generation, you. Uh, can see that many of them today support the idea of one state situation, not a one state solution, one state situation, which means uh, a state, one entity, one political entity between the river, the Jordan River and the sea. Uh, and they really want to be a part citizens of uh, of Israel. It doesn't mean that, that, uh, that they forgot their national uh, identity. But in 2022, they want good life. They don't want only uh, independence or, you know, uh, uh, a possibility to to, uh, wave their flags, their national flag. But they want also uh, to get to get uh, social insurance and they they want to get out of uh, uh, out of uh, the territories uh, via via Ben Gurion or via uh, other uh, other cross uh, border crossing uh, with no problems. And uh, you really can see that a lot of Palestinians today are supporting this idea of being a part of, uh, you know, a united uh, uh, entity. And I personally, Neri, I think that this is the, 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 the worst nightmare for both societies, because it, I think that the one state situation, it's not a solution. It's actually... Um, a Bosnian, Balkan uh, situation, because uh, if we will find ourselves in a very uh, uh, mixed uh, uh, situation, uh, you know, demographically, uh, geographically, socially, economically, I think that it's going to it's going it's going to lead us to a lot of clashes between uh, the two uh, the two peoples. And uh, we should be aware of what is happening among Palestinians and especially among young Palestinians uh, in this uh, this point, because we can really find ourselves in this situation with no planning, with no 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 intentions. But uh, but it will happen if, uh, you know, no uh, political uh, progress will uh, will be developed. Right. It's a, a recipe for for disaster. Uh, I agree with you on that. I want to I want to unpack some of the characteristics that you mentioned about this younger Palestinian generation. So you talked about them being disconnected from all the old ideologies and all the old and literally old leadership and political factions. They you say they just want to live and have uh, positive, good, normal lives. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the economic situation. Uh, definitely in Gaza and also to a certain extent the West Bank isn't isn't promising at all. Uh, I think there's what almost seventy percent youth unemployment in Gaza. Seventy percent right. uh, in the West Bank. I think there's uh, what twenty thousand or thirty thousand uh, university graduates every That's year right. that graduate from from West Bank universities, and they all can't find jobs in their proper professions. Um, a very extremely well-educated society. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, like you touched on, they're a virtual generation, that uh, they're on their phones, computers, like every young generation all over the world, uh, including including ours. That's right. Um, but all of this is, is a channel for, for frustration, right? That they do see uh, how 
Tel Avivis and Israelis live. They see how uh, people in the Gulf live or people in America or Europe live. Um, and then on the other hand, they're still living uh, in the territories under occupation with this aging leadership. So all told, it's, it's, not, it's not a great recipe for, for success or stability. You know, you you touched a very important question, and, and this is the question of uh, uh, the Palestinians, maybe mainly the the young generation that comparing himself to other uh, societies uh, in the area, uh, and and as you mentioned before, Neri. Uh, most of them really want a good life like in Israel and for example like in the Arab sector the Arab citizens of uh, Israel and uh, of course this is a source of uh, for uh, st- frustration and this is a source for uh, for uh, uh, ongoing uh, unrest that can really uh, um, can be uh, explo- very explosive uh, social uh, phenomenon uh, but uh, you know they are also comparing themselves not only to Israel and the Arab sector in Israel, but also to other uh, states in the in the Middle East. Uh, today, in 2022, you have uh, you know smartphones and uh, internet and uh, TV channels, and you really can see what is happening in Egypt and in Syria and in Yemen and in Libya, and you really understand that your situation is not the best; it's not ideal, but there is. Even deeper ebb you can you can reach to if you will begin, for example, third intifada or uh, or um, uh, a very broad uh, violent uh, wave against Israel. And I think that many many uh, Palestinians, uh, including young uh, generation uh, Palestinians, uh, to understand today that uh, they 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 must uh, uh, accept. The, the, today, the the current situation, and maybe it's less uh, less uh, uh, cat- uh, catalytic than uh, than uh, what is happening in other places uh, in the in the Arab world. Um, this, uh, I think, it's not a promise for Israel that uh, you know you can uh, uh, keep this uh, arena and you can keep this youth uh, forever uh, calm and uh, and uh, contained, but. Uh, I think that for maybe for the next years it can uh, supply Israel a much a much more calm uh, a arena. Uh, you must also remember that the 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 groups that lead the Palestinian arena today they are not the, the young generation. They are the the fathers uh, and the parents of of these uh, uh, young uh, young Palestinians, and they today really remember. Uh, what happened 20 years ago. Uh, they remember the uh, second intifada. They remember how Israeli tanks got into uh, Palestinian cities. They remember how chaos was created uh, in Palestinian uh, uh, streets. And they do not want to get back to this uh, situation. So right now, I think that uh, uh, most of the Palestinians understand that uh, you know they are dealing with the devil they know. It's less, uh, it's less uh, uh, bad than, than uh, what is happening in other places, but it's not a promise that forever it will be the same, uh, the same situation and the same way of thinking. So that's interesting that the, the relative aspect to it, that they do look around and say, okay, while our situation under occupation and without a resolution to the conflict is, is negative and, and bad, uh, it could be worse. Is that, in your mind, the reason why the young generation hasn't taken to the streets, either a third intifada vis-a-vis Israel or a Palestinian spring uh, vis-a-vis the Palestinian Authority leadership and, and Hamas. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is this is the 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 answer. When I'm trying to understand why for about uh, for about a decade, which w- was full of problems, full of clashes between Israel and Palestinians, um, no no third intifada. Uh, took place and the PA, which is quite a weak, weak regime, is is uh, is still uh, still uh, active and uh, wasn't uh, and and didn't collapse. I think that the uh, the answer is that most of the Palestinians today understand that relatively their their uh, local situation is better than in other places. And that if they will, uh, if they will promote uh, dramatic uh, uh, moves like uh, you know uh, uh, 
broad protest against their own regime or violent uh, conflict uh, struggle against Israel, maybe they will lose the uh, level of life, all the achievements they got during the last decades. And I think that this is, you know, a collective way of thinking that is really uh, dominant today among the among the Palestinians. Okay, but not a guarantee that this will continue. That's right. This is the most important point. It's not. It's not a guarantee. It doesn't mean that uh, forever Israel can, uh, uh, you know, promote uh, the same uh, the same uh, tools. Uh, economic uh, tools, uh, it is being called in in uh, Arabic, the um, the economic peace, uh, and to uh, and to keep the uh, territories, uh, the Palestinian arena calm. Uh, it means that right now it's a very effective tool, but it maybe in in one year, two year, five years, it's it's not going to 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 uh, preserve its uh, effectiveness and. Uh, I, I really hope that in Israel, those who are responsible for strategy uh, toward the Palestinian arena understand this uh, problematic point. So let's get into that. Uh, obviously, we have a new government in power now, what, almost 10 months, led by Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and Foreign Minister Yair Lapid and Defense Minister Benny Gantz. And they've adopted what they like to call a strategy of shrinking the conflict. This paradigm where, okay, there's not going to be a big diplomatic push or a resolution to the conflict, but that in theory you can make life better for Palestinians, both in the West Bank and Gaza. You kind of shrink the friction between Israel and the Palestinian population. Uh, Some would call it shrinking the occupation. Mm -hmm. But we've seen now over the past 10 months, Israel did take certain steps uh, issuing more work permits, uh, perhaps floating loans to the Palestinian Authority to keep keep the lights on and the payroll functioning for all the civil servants, uh, and a few other steps. In your opinion, uh, has enough been done so far by Israel? You um, know, given given the new paradigm that they've promoted. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think that. Uh, um... Israel can can be more generous uh, toward the Palestinians. It can it, Israel can give me, them more uh, economic gestures. Uh, but you know, you mentioned Neri, the uh, shrinking of of the conflict as a as a strategy, a leading strategy today in Israel. And I, I must um, say that personally, I think that you know it's a good tactic. It's not a strategy because you you actually uh, suspending. Uh, the uh, the um, channel uh, our channeling uh, uh, to to the one state situation uh, you uh, give the Palestinians better life that's for sure but you cannot escape the political uh, big issues and uh, I I really understand that this government the current government cannot really uh, uh, create or crystallize a, a long term strategy for the Palestinian arena. But I really hope that there will be a point, a moment where our government will think about not only the next month, for example, Ramadan, but the next decade. What is going to be to happen in the West Bank? Uh, do we really, really understand that we, with no borders, with no clear, you know, border where the uh, Palestinian uh, territory begins and then when they when uh, and where the, the Israeli uh, territory ends? Uh, we will find ourselves in one state situation. And for example, for Gaza, do we really understand that when we are uh, continuing the uh, current situation, the current policy of, um, you know, promoting dramatic uh, economic projects uh, to Gaza, permits to 20,000 workers to get out of Gaza every day and to work in Israel, mm-hmm. we actually support Hamas. We, are get- we, we, we really uh, uh, makes Hamas stronger because uh, right now Hamas is enjoying, he, he enjoys all the all these uh, 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 moves and enjoys the the uh, improvement in in economic situation. It doesn't pay any price for uh, continuing uh, inflaming the uh, atmosphere in the West Bank. 
and promoting terror attacks in Jerusalem, in the West Bank, and inside the Arab, the Arab sector in Israel. And uh, do we really think what will happen, for example, in Gaza in 2030? Do we really think that, I don't know, maybe uh, the young generation will, will uh, uh, protest against, uh, against the Hamas regime and will, uh, will, uh, will cause the collapse of this regime? Do we, do we uh, uh, believe that there will be any point when the PA will return to Gaza? All those questions are very dramatic. The, the problem in Israel that we are thinking in a manner of, you know, the next month, what will happen in, in, uh, in the, maybe in the next year, but not more than that. And we really uh, need to sit and draw and crystallize a strategic plan, a strategic policy for the Palestinian arena. And here we, we need not only to, to uh, you know, follow after events, but really understand developments, really understand the deep streams in the Palestinian arena in order to understand what are the challenges that, uh, that we will face fr- from this arena in the future. So if you were advising this Israeli government or any Israeli government, which, which you do and you have, what would you, what would you recommend they actually do in terms of resolving or at least ameliorating these deeper and structural problems, and especially given the young population, right? What would you recommend Israel does, I guess, short of a two-state solution and end to the conflict and all of that, which I guess is politically untenable at the moment, at least? For sure. Um, I I think that, Neri, first of all, I would advise the government to understand that we're facing two Palestinian arenas, not one. What what is happening on the West Bank is quite different from what is happening in Gaza. Regarding the, the West Bank, I think that there are two, uh, two recommends I can elaborate. First of all, to make the PA stronger. Of course, it's not the ideal regime we want in the, uh, in the uh, West Bank, but you know, uh, the, the situation could be uh, much, much, uh, uh, much more uh, mm-hmm. problematic. And right now, I think that we should uh, promote a lot of political, economic, social, strategic uh, moves in order to make this uh, this regime stronger and to understand that in the day after Abu Mazen, there could be uh, all kinds of, uh, of uh, changes that will, uh, will um, uh, threat the uh, stability. Second, I think that Israel, uh, as I mentioned before, should really think about borders. I, I really assess that there is no chance to, you know, to solve the problems of refugees, uh, the right of return, even Jerusalem. But I really think that there is a chance to solve the problem of, of the borders of the territories. And here, I'm, I'm really, uh, uh, I really believe that uh, leaders like Sharon, uh, 17 years ago, uh, should be the model uh, for for the current uh, leadership in Israel. You know, to to promote historic uh, uh, moves regarding the territory in Gaza. I think that we, on the opposite, I think that we should be much tougher. I think that the current situation doesn't doesn't lead us to to uh, long term stability. It leads us that uh, to a situation uh, when uh, Hamas will will have the same. Uh, the same uh, uh, capabilities, military capabilities like uh, Hezbollah, which we, uh, which means that Hamas will be much more stable uh, it, it, in, in its in its own internal uh, arena. And I think that uh, Israel, for example, should condition every economic uh, step toward Gaza, even the uh, the permits for workers, in for one. Uh, uh, that Hamas will stop uh, all the uh, incitement and the uh, support of uh, terror attacks in Jerusalem and in the West Bank. Today, there is, you know, it's it's a bizarre situation. In in Gaza, the the situation is very calm, but on the other hand, Hamas uh, actually feels quite free to promote uh, violent steps in in the in the West Bank, and in the same time, Hamas gets. All the uh, all the gestures from the civil gestures from uh, Israel, and it's 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 you know it's unbelievable. 
And the other point I, I, I think that Israel should demonstrate much, much more, much tougher uh, uh, attitude is the uh, issue of the um, Israeli uh, soldiers and Israeli citizens that are in the hands of Hamas. It's impossible that we are not conditioning the, uh, the economic moves in any progress or any, uh, any um, flexible policy of Hamas in this uh, point, at this point. And I think that uh, the time arrived that we will be more tough uh, toward Hamas, even if it means that maybe there will be uh, clashes, there, maybe there will be uh, escalation, uh, military one. But I think that on the long term, it's better than the, uh, the uh, continuing with the, with the current policy. So it's interesting, you and many other uh, Israeli-Palestinian affairs experts uh, in media and in the security services uh, actually do call for a tougher position on Hamas and Gaza. Uh, but the politicians, I think, uh, have a different idea in terms of just maintaining that's maintaining right. calm. I think that's that's a conversation for for a different time. Uh, ho- hopefully, right. we get through the coming days and weeks uh, unscathed, and that uh, stability and quiet are returned to Israeli streets, and that we pass through the holiday period quietly. Uh, Mikhail, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Fascinating overview of the Palestinian arena. Thank you, Neri. Thank you for having me. Uh, My pleasure. And we look forward to your book coming out in English, because I think out of all the issues involved in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I think the Palestinian demographic issue, the young Palestinian generation, will be the most important one uh, in the coming years. So thank you for writing that book. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, that was Colonel Michael Milstein. Many thanks to him for his generous time and insights. Also thanks to our producer, Jacob Gilman, and to all of you who support Israel Policy Forum's work, including this podcast. You know who you are. Just remember to subscribe. And as always, thank you for listening.